The theme for the sermon this afternoon is that the Bible has absolute authority because it is breathed out by God. And those words we find in 2 Timothy. So let's turn now to 2 Timothy. We read chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. Second letter of Paul to Timothy. Chapter 3. And the words that form the theme for the sermon you find at the end of this chapter. Paul is encouraging Timothy. Paul is an older man by now. He's in jail. He will not come out anymore from what he understands. And he is writing to Timothy, his spiritual son, to direct him, to encourage him. Because the times are not easy. And he speaks about it in chapter 3. Let's start in verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and lead astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive in a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his, come and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
As for you, always be sober-minded and your suffering to the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry. Thus far, the reading from God's Word. Let's sing now again from Psalm 92, which is a song for the Sabbath. And let's sing now the stanzas 4, 5, 6, and 7. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, and this afternoon we will first have a look at Article 5 of the Belgian Confession, and I'll make a few comments on the article. And from there we'll go to one of the classic proof texts for the inspiration of Scripture, 2 Timothy 3. And I will explain that text to you and see how that proves indeed what we confess. And then I hope to conclude with some comments on what it means for us that the Bible has all authority. So let's start with Article 5 of the Belgian Confession, which you find on page 500 of our Books of Praise. The Heidelberg Catechism does not say much about the doctrine of Scripture. The Belgian Confession has several articles. Article 2, it begins, and it concludes in Article 7. Uh, about the, the place of the scriptures, the inspiration of the scriptures, the sufficiency of scripture, and so on. And therefore, also knowing that we live in a time where the authority of scripture is questioned, and I'm not talking about people who don't accept the Bible, but people who say they claim they accept the Bible, but they do not accept its authority as coming from God. It's good to have articles that deal with that, and it's good also for us to reflect on this. So let's turn to Article 5, which deals with the authority of Holy Scripture. And we confess there the following. We receive all these books, and these only, as holy and canonical, for the regulation, foundation, and confirmation of our faith. We believe without any doubt all things contained in them, not so much because this church receives and approves them as such, but especially because the Holy Spirit witnesses in our hearts that they are from God. And also because they contain the evidence of this in themselves, for even the blind are able to perceive that the things foretold in them are being fulfilled." I'd like to draw your attention to three things in this article. The first one is the use of that word receive at the very opening. It says, we receive all these books and these only as holy and canonical. Holy, of course, they come from God. Canonical means that's the rule, that's the norm, you have to abide by it. But we use that verb to receive. And we use that to indicate that we respect and we believe God's work in giving us the Bible as we have it with all the 66 books. That under God's special care, not only did he inspire the man who wrote it, he also made sure it was transmitted 
and that we have the letters and the Gospels and the books of the prophets exactly as he wanted them. And all that we do is receiving them. We did not decide that this is what we want. We did not decide that this is what God's word is. We are in the position of receiving, receptors. So we recognize God's providence, God's wisdom, and really this receiving is a matter of faith. That we realize an almighty God who created heaven and earth is also able under his providence to so take care of his word that we have it. And that's why we receive it also as such. So there's an element of humility here. We receive it. We see God's work. Secondly, the catechism or the, the Belgian Confession explains the authority of Scripture with several words. When it says it has been given for the regulation, foundation, and confirmation of our faith. So what you see here is that our confession says, yes, they are holy and canonical, but are given with a special purpose, namely to be used. I'll come back to that more yet this afternoon. Therefore, the regulation of your faith. Regulation means it gives the rules. What do I have to believe? What is okay to believe? What is not okay to believe? regulates my faith, the Bible, God's Word. It is the foundation of our faith. So your faith is always founded in what the Bible says, what God has revealed in His Word. It's not what we think. It's not what we like. It's not what our culture thinks. It is the Word that founds our faith, that regulates our faith, and it also confirms our faith. And that is, of course, that... The more you use it, the more you also understand it. And by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you see and you learn more about it. And you say, yes, it is true. I, I see it so clearly. And, and the, the more you study, the stronger also that faith becomes. If, if you say to yourself, oh, I need confirmation of my faith. I feel kind of weak in my faith. But I'm going to wait till I get that firmness before I really start studying the Bible. You put things the wrong way. When you have questions and doubts and challenges, you go to that word, for that will confirm your faith. So that is the use of it. Regulation, foundation, confirmation. Third element I would like to highlight is that the certainty that they are indeed the word of God comes from the Holy Spirit. And, and there you touch on a very important element, but also a very sort of difficult element to explain to others. You accept the Bible as the Word of God. Why do you say it is the Word of God? Because it says it is the Word of God. And they say, well, you reason in circles. How can the thing itself prove that it is so important? You need outside proof. You need outside confirmation. And we say, no, it is the Holy Spirit who does that. He gives us that confirmation. And how does the Holy Spirit do that? By the use of the Word by helping us understand, and the more you study it, the more you dig into it, the more it is open to us, the more we are indeed, this is the word of God. The fact that it needs no confirmation from an outside source has to do with what we confessed in the very early, very first article of the Belgian Confession, where we can say that God is a simple being. And simple there means he is independent. 
He doesn't have to validate himself. He doesn't depend on any outside power. He has everything in himself. And therefore also, if his word needed validation from outside in order to be the word of God, he was no longer independent. So because he is independent, also his word has the confirmation in itself, and that is what the Holy Spirit does. Now, that is something that you believe. And yes, you can explain why the Bible is important to people, but ultimately it comes down to believing who God is and what he can do. And therefore, brothers and sisters, what we here confess, because this is our confession, this is what we hold up in our world in which we live, in which we teach our children. We believe something that goes totally against our nature. No human being likes to be under authority that comes somewhere from above who says, this is what you have to do, this is right, and this is wrong. We all want to determine ourselves. Wasn't that already what Adam and Eve said? We want to determine ourselves. And here we say, no, it is God who from heaven speaks to us with his word and says, this is what you have to believe. It is also totally countercultural. That is, in the world in which we live, these words sound very strange. That you believe something and someone who out there speaks to you in an old book that has been given to you and that you let your life be ruled by it. That's so not Accept it. It is only by faith. In fact, if you maintain it this way, you say this is what the Bible says, this is what it teaches, and this is the word of God that has authority, you'll be labeled as intolerant. We believe this because it is our God who speaks to us. And why is this word so authoritative. Why do we say it has that authority? Because it is the very word of God. Already in the Old Testament, you see this, that when the prophets spoke, they realized they were not speaking on their own behalf. It was God who said, thus says the Lord. And one of the, one of the classic proof texts that we have used and also is referred to in our confession is 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. And what I want to do now, turn to that text. We'll read those words once more, and then we'll see what the Spirit is teaching us there. So let's turn now to 2 Timothy 3, and we'll read once more the verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Apostle Paul, as he writes this second letter that we have that is addressed to Timothy, knows that the end of his life is coming close. And he is concerned about his spiritual son, Timothy, and he wants to speak to him. He hopes to see Timothy yet, as we learn from this letter, because Timothy needs encouraging. He is going through some difficult things in his life, in his ministry. Timothy is a beginning minister, 
And, and he meets some very difficult things. He meets people who cause dissensions, divisions. People who quarrel about words. And the danger is that Timothy gets drawn into that and thus strays away from what he needs to do, that is preach the gospel in season and out of season. He has to lead the congregation in very difficult times. And now Paul, his spiritual father, he says, I want to encourage you. And, and I do that by reminding you of the word that you may bring. And what a gift you have received in the word as the word of God. Timothy, my son, there lies your strength. There lies your focus. Well, Timothy needs this encouragement because as we read the beginning of chapter 3, you see what he is up against. And I'm sure that as we read the beginning of chapter 3, you all thought, uh, well, Timothy, or Paul, you could have uh, written this in 2019. The description of the people that are found in this chapter, it is so timely, isn't it? That people will become lovers of self, of money, proud, arrogant, ungrateful, brutal, swollen with conceit, and you name it. And it's no wonder that this speaks to us because really what Paul is saying is that this is happening throughout the time. In verse 1 he says, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And that expression, the last days, does not mean a few days before the return of the Lord Jesus. It is the last stage of God's work. Typically in the Bible, these last days are the days from the ascension or the outpouring of the Holy Spirit till the return. It, it characterizes the whole New Testament. And that's why what, what Timothy faces is no different than what we face. Living in a Roman Empire that was going under in all its idolatry is no different than we living in a world that is also going under in its selfishness and idolatry. And, and so what you find here is indeed a description of, of the people that you, you meet. And it doesn't mean that everybody has to be exactly like this and as bad as this. It is, it is kind of a description of what people really are and what you see, the symptoms of it, you see it, that, that they are selfish, all focused on themselves, that they are disruptive, no respect for those who have leadership positions, who are appointed to give leadership. They lack positive virtues, and their speech is unholy. That's the time in which Timothy was living and had to do his work. That's the time in which we live. Not easy times. And, and then beside that, he says, by the way, these are people who come also with words that sound very nice, very, very convincing. They are deceivers. That means they come in the name of Christ, but what they do is really the opposite. So what do you do? When you face the onslaught of idolatry, of wickedness, of deception, what do you do? You hold on to the word. And Paul will say more about that. But he says, this is what you need to do, Timothy. 
That word is your strength. That word has to rule your life, has to rule your ministry. That word gives you wisdom. That word equips you. Why? Why is the word so important? Because he says in verse 16, because the scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. When you speak, it is breath coming out of you. You force air through your vocal cords and so on, and that becomes sounds, and so you speak. So when you speak, you are breathing out, and that's exactly the point that Paul makes here, that God is also breathing out. It is God's breath coming through his focal cords. And the beautiful element is that the word for breath in both the Old Testament and the New Testament also are the words for spirit, also the Holy Spirit. The breath of God is the Holy Spirit. And that means that Paul is saying, these are the very words of God. It is as if God himself is speaking. That's why they are so important. God himself is is breathing them out. He is speaking. And, And as God has all authority, also what he breathes out has all authority. And as that word is all powerful, because God is all powerful... Sometimes people say, I wish God would talk to me. Well, he is. It's right here. Breathe out his very word. That's what you're dealing with. Now notice, notice that Paul says here, the text says here, all scripture is breathed out by God. It doesn't speak here about the people who were involved in the process. Moses or Elijah or Paul or John. No, it is the scripture, and in singular even here, that the collective. So the focus is not on the person who spoke, but on the product, the scripture. Here, this is the very word of God as if he himself is speaking, breathed out by him. Sometimes people like to make a distinction in that they say, well, maybe the person who spoke, Paul was inspired, but what he wrote was kind of conditioned by the time that he was living in, and we have to understand that, and we have to take it out of the condition of culture, and we have to make it applicable to our culture. But the text doesn't say Paul was inspired. It says the scripture the result of Paul's work, what we have here, it is as God himself is speaking. All of it, or you can also say the whole of it. There's so many aspects to the Bible. The more you study it, the more beautiful it becomes. You have stories that are so fascinating. You have poetry that is so beautiful or so gripping. You have letters that teach us, that direct us. 
you have also passages about laws and all the regulations about them. All of it. It is the very word of God because it is God breathing out. And that leads Paul to speak about also the use of it. It says, because it is breathed out by God, it is now also profitable. It is something that has to be done with it. Authority is not an abstract idea. No, that word has authority, but it also has power. It does something. It is meant to do something. You see that already in verse 15, when Paul says that these sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So these writings, these sacred writings, they have the ability to make you wise, give you understanding for salvation. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. So that word of God that is breathed out by him and has authority, it does something. It has power. It is profitable. And and Paul lists four things that he wants to highlight. More could be said, of course, but these are the four that he mentions here. He said, it's profitable for teaching. Now, teaching means instruction. You learn things. You, You unfold it. You see new under perspectives. And, and so when you, when you work with the word, you come to know who God is more and more. You come to know who yourself, who, who we are. You come to know what God's plan is. You're never finished with studying the word. And the more you study it, the more you see who God is. And you stand in awe. We learn how we have to respond in thankfulness to Him, how we have to live new lives. Our eyes are open to the deception of sin. It's all teaching. So a big part of working with the Scripture is teaching, coming to know, unfolding, and opening up the Word. God's voice is a teaching voice. Secondly, it reproves. This is where the pain comes. Reproving means what you are doing is not right. What you're doing is wrong. We don't like to hear that. Our toast can be very long. And the word comes and says, that thing that you're doing, you shouldn't be doing that. And, And when you study the word, you come to see that. The habit that I have, I shouldn't have it. These thoughts that I have, they're sinful. The word makes us aware of that. It reproves us. I think of Psalm 1. It opens the book of Psalms and has those two ways there. The way of serving God and the way of the wicked. And that way of the wicked that is reproved. You think of the book of Proverbs. Reproving. Thirdly, it corrects. Correcting means that having been reproved, you now go back to the right way. It's not only to say, well, this is what you did is wrong, but this is how you should be doing it. Not, and not just in an, in an advisory capacity, you do well to think about this. 
No, it is a call. You must change what you're doing. And that's what the word does. God's voice is so powerful that he exposes my sin, even the deepest thoughts I have, but he also brings it back again to where he wants me to be. That same voice that spoke and that was Genesis is the voice that speaks now and changes hearts. And he does it by his word, correcting. Fourthly, Trains us. Now, the word training is a word that you're familiar with if you are involved in sports. You train for sports, and that means that you have to give it time, you have to set yourself goals, you want to see improvements, there has to be dedication. And that's here too. What kind of training is it? Training in righteousness. And that is in living in the right way before God. Living in the right relation to Him. That requires training. And a training manual is the Word of God. That Word also helps us to train. It, in fact, trains us. The more I take that Word in, the more I'm trained. And I have to exercise and I have to give it my time I have to give it my devotion, my attention. And it can be painful, you know, how it is when you haven't trained for a while and you have to do it again. Your muscles ache. Or when you start again, you have the point where you say, I should quit. We say, no, I have to keep it up. Training in righteousness. That's what the Word does. That's why it is profitable in teaching, reproving, correcting, training. It's very practical, isn't it? The way Paul speaks here to Timothy, the way the Spirit speaks to us. And why is that, verse 17? What's the goal? The goal is that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How can you be complete? Well, we were created complete in the sense that we were created good to know God to love him, to live with him in eternal blessedness, to praise and glorify him. We lost that through our sin. But you see what God is now doing by his word? He again changes us and he equips us again for every good work. And think of what Lord's Day 32 and Lord's Day 33 teaches about good works. They are the result of Christ's redemption by His Holy Spirit, and are done out of thankfulness for what He has accomplished for us, and based on His Word. So when you let that Word permeate your life, when you let it train you, correct you, reprove you, teach you, then again you become the person that God wants you to be. A miracle takes place that we again become as God had created us. Man of God, complete in every good work. That's the power of the Bible. So there you have the text, as it is also referred to in our confession in Article 5 and also in other passages, that the Word of God is indeed breathed out by God 
and profitable for teaching and so on. I want to make four comments to see how we now have to work with it. And these four I take out of the passage and the surrounding verses. So we, we, we accept the authority of Scripture. What does that mean for us today? The first thing is it means that we have to work with the Scriptures. Or as, for example, Lord's Day 38 says when it speaks about the day of rest, that we have to let the Spirit work in us. And how does the Spirit work in us? Through the Word. We all agree that the Bible has absolute authority. And we, we, we are staunch defenders of the authority of Scripture. We even have broken off contact with churches because we question their faithfulness to Scripture, and we see the evidence of that. And, and then we say, but, but we hold on to the Scripture. But brothers and sisters, that may never become something static. What does that mean to say Scripture has absolute authority? It means it has to do something in your life, reproving, correcting, training, disciplining. If you say, the Bible has absolute authority, don't tinker with the Bible. But you don't read it, you don't study it, you don't let it change your life. And it's like you have this beautiful book, you put it in a cupboard, and you show it how wonderful it is when guests come, but the doors are closed, and it stays a relic. And God says, no, I gave my word to make you complete for every good work. Is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for training. So, so use it and, and let it be seen on your Bible as being used and used well. Your life has to be shaped by it. And that's why Article 5 says regulation, foundation, confirmation for our faith. Peter de Brand understood very well that yes, the Bible has absolute authority. But it may never become something in itself. It is there so that we do something with it. Or it does something to us. So the question is, how does it show in your life, in your home, in your congregation, that we indeed maintain the absolute power of the Word of God? How do we work? Is it training? Is there correcting? Is there instruction? So it has to be used. Secondly, the authority of God's word also has implications for the preaching. I mention this because right after this passage in chapter 4, and this is where chapter division can throw us off a little bit, when Paul has said all scriptures is breathed out by God and so on, then he says to Timothy, you know, Timothy, what this means? Now I charge you in the presence of God. So there's a very, very important element that comes out here. What you need to do is preach the word in season, out of season. And they have the same words there. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. 
And then later on he says, do the work of an evangelist. And that's important because people will have, have minds and ears that, that are not necessarily open to these things. What Paul is saying is, because he's speaking to Timothy, Timothy, now your place in all of this is to preach that word. It's very interesting that when you go through the New Testament, that sometimes the expression, the word, really refers to the preaching of the word. For that is how the Lord himself determined it that his word would go out into this world through the proclamation. Think of Matthew. The end. Now you have to go out, and you have to preach. And so you make disciples, and you baptize. So it is through that preaching that the word of God also comes into our lives. And the preaching is, of course, when those ordained by the Lord, charged with the duty to do so, speak to the people of God. That's why Paul, for example, in 2 Corinthians, when he says, when, when, when we speak to you, it is as if God himself is speaking to you, be reconciled to him. And that's why also in my confessions we have a very high view of the preaching. It is the word of God coming to you. Not that a minister is inspired and at the same level as Timothy or, or Paul, that when the minister speaks in an official capacity, according to that word that has been given, that inspired word, then also that becomes the word of God by which faith is worked in your heart. So that has implications for me as a preacher, that I have to make sure that what I say is indeed in line with the word of God. So that I can indeed, indeed say, thus says the Lord to you. It also means that you have to receive it in that way. It's not just a lecture where you can pick and choose what you want. It is God's word, God's voice coming to you. Thirdly, so the word has to be used, has to be preached. Thirdly, it also has implications for our homes. And, and that receives attention also in this passage. If you go to verse 14 and 15, we read there, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. How did Timothy become acquainted with the sacred writings? As a child. He grew up as a child in a believing home. He had a mother and a grandmother who were believers. We read that in chapter 1 of this letter. And Paul says, when I... When I hear you, and when I think of you, I think of your mother and your grandmother. Verse 5 of chapter 1, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. A very interesting point here. Paul is saying, Timothy, when I, when I listen to you and how you reason, how you speak about your faith, 
You know who I hear? Your mother. Your grandmother. You speak the same way. And he must have known his mother and grandmother. And he sees the, the similarity. Because it's at that early age, at home, around the table or in other circumstances, that you learn to let that word permeate your heart. And that is why it is so important that in our homes we have the opportunity, the time, to work with this word. That doesn't mean that someone who is not brought up in a Christian home cannot be, become a believer and cannot be very fruitful in the church, certainly. But that person will be the first one to say, when I see you being taught in it, I see how much I miss. That typically the people say, I'm, I'm envious of, of, of how... Our youth is being taught and, and raised. What a blessing it is when in a home there is time to let that word mold hearts. And that when you grow older, you don't look back at your mom or your grandma and say, oh, that's what they believed. But you treasure that. And that also will shape you when you're thinking and you're speaking and you're defending the faith. Living in a world, and we read chapter 3, the beginning, and I said there's not much different than our world. How important it is that we have families, godly mothers and fathers who take the time for godly instruction in the scriptures. That also is part of defending the authority of the scripture. Because you know it is the very word of God, you work with it and you teach it. Fourthly, leaders have to exemplify this submission to the word. The leaders among us have to be living examples that this is indeed so. And, and I take this from, again, what we read in verse 14. Paul says, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Know your teachers. Know those who show you the way. And then earlier on, when he has shown all these corrupt people and compared them to these two uh, wizards that Moses had to face before Pharaoh. He says, verse 10, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering. Yet from all the Lord rescued me. Paul is not like saying, look at me how good I am. Paul is saying, watch me. In me you see the power of that word. And that should tell you something. So leaders in the church have to be recognizable by the fact that they let that word indeed rule their lives. That's why in the form for ordination, we also make a point to say that those who lead the congregation, the elders they, in order to do their work well, have to acquaint themselves with the scriptures and search them diligently so that leaders are indeed examples to the flock. This is what the word does in your life. 
And it doesn't all have to be the elders and the deacons. If you think in the congregation, those who are mature, the Lord may want to use you and show to others. This is what the word does. The letters of Paul speak more about that. For example, that, that older women can talk to younger women and, and help them how to live as Christians in their home. And that older men can talk to younger men. Titus, he speaks about that. There you have that same element of showing, be an example, be a mentor, where it shows that indeed that word rules our lives. And that when you are indeed privileged to be in an older age category, that you also have an obligation to show the younger members in the church. This is then what it means to let that word rule our hearts and our lives. It's not always easy. And Paul says too, it was a lot of suffering for me too. But see how the Lord pulled me through all of that? And that shows the power of his word. So let's indeed also see that among us. So there you have four things. The word has to be used. The word has to be preached. The devotions at home. And the example of leaders. And why do we make a point of this? Because we believe that the scripture is inspired by God. And if you receive them then also as holy and canonical. Let it not only be words that we speak, but also reflect the actions. Amen. Let us sing.